Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. For your uh, detailed information, and uh, I've got lots of questions, so I'll have to limit myself to one. My name is Mary Shillington. Um, I have uh, a concern, uh, which I'm sure you have as well, around the whole land and the communal, um, uh, uh, the change that could potentially happen and the whole privatization and so on. So what do you see you you need to do uh, as an individual Aboriginal woman, but as a group as well, and what would you like from the rest of us? Okay, so what do I need to do as an Aboriginal woman? Around the communal, the, the threatened change of, to privatization of the land, and and uh, and what can can the the national group or the provincial group of Aboriginal people do, and what 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 kind of support would you like from those of us who are not Aboriginal but are concerned for your sake too? Well, I'm doing what I can, I think. I'm trying my best to put the information out there with, to people about what this legislation means to us. I think that um, I've encouraged people to write letters to the MPs and the Senators stating their opposition to these bills. Um, I think that as a whole, Aboriginal people need to because I don't know more as, as a grassroots group so that I don't know more and the leadership and including the AFN need to tell the government to back off to suspend this legislation to stop it because we need to we need that to be able to have the time to look at it and decide what we what we want to do and how we want to do it the reserves are the little pieces of land that we have left of our vast traditional territory, and we hold it together as a people. Canada doesn't understand that because everything's private. Everything's individual. It's all about individual rights, individual ownership, individual property. Our way of thinking is different than that, and because I don't know if there is if there is a way that we can maintain that and develop it on our own, but we need to have the time to be able to do that, to talk about it about ourselves, and to to, to look at how we want to do it. So what I would ask as far as support from Canada is to join us in writing letters to the members of parliament, to the prime minister, to the senators, and state state to suspend this legislation, to stop it, to give us a chance to be able to absorb what it's what it is, because every one of the people, well, okay, every time I make this presentation, everybody feels overwhelmed because it's so much information. And we need we need to be able to have the time to develop our own solutions to it. So that's what I would ask is to is to write letters and ask to suspend and stop this legislation. Okay, thank you. Next question, please. Douglas Mitchell. You've partly answered the, the question that was on my mind, and that is, 
the failure of our federal government and those who implement these laws to understand the Aboriginal psyche, mm -hmm. and you've addressed that to some extent. And I really began, I was at the Flanagan Lecture, and I began to despair of people of Flanagan's ilk understanding that there is this basic difference. And until that is somewhere accepted, how are we going to resolve this issue of dealing with any amendments that might be made to the Indian, Indian Act and not forgetting, and I apologize on behalf of the Pale Faces, that uh, this goes back a long way. But I really think that it's this understanding of the Aboriginal and acceptance of the Aboriginal psyche and their approach to issues that have, are, you've articulated very well. Is there a question in that? <laughs> Yeah, the question was, there are differences um, between the Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal way of looking at things, and how do we resolve this? How do we resolve it? I think it's about... I think it's about doing exactly what we're doing here today. It's about understanding that all knowledge is not known. That if you walk a little ways this way and you look at things through my eyes, that you may see things differently. That we have our own distinct culture. We are a people. We are not a minority. We are a people. And that our ways of knowing and our knowledge are just as valid as yours. And I, I, the other part of that is that we have rights. We have constitutionally protected rights. And this is not just about money. This is about protecting our way of life. In our world view, we are connected. When, when you hear Indian people say, all my relations, what that means is that we are beings. But there's other beings in this world. There's the above beings. There are the underwater beings, the four-legged ones, the winged ones. The water has a spirit. Rocks have a spirit. Trees have a spirit. They're spiritual beings. And that we are no higher than any of those beings, and we all have to respect one another in order to maintain a world that we can all live in. That we understand that relationship, and that's what we're a big part of what we're trying to protect because those beings don't speak for themselves, they don't have the ability to do that. So we have to speak on their behalf. And it's very difficult in a, in a world where all those things are just looked at as resources. Things to be used to make money. And at some point, there has to be a balance. A balance between those things, or we will not have a world 
where we can practice our cultural ways because all of those things, those plants, those plants have spirits. We use them to pray with. We use them to renew our renew our relationship with this Tibet to be created, not to eat the peaks, the holy ones, on a daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal basis. We need them. We need them to be pure. And there are helpers. And I guess I... I would hope that this is just the beginning of a dialogue that we can start with between Canadians and Aboriginal people to gain that understanding that you will... Like I see non-natives that get so excited when they catch just a glimmer, just a glimmer of our ways. And I believe that we're willing to, to work towards a greater understanding and I think that's where it's going to come from because our system, our education system is not designed to teach Canada about us. We were here, we signed treaties, the end of the story. Oh, maybe they might have a little bit about residential schools. Okay, thanks very much. Next question please. Hi, Faye. My name is Knut Peterson. Thanks very much for coming today. I wonder if you could relate a little bit about, you know, Harper has uh, absolute power in, in Canada with uh, probably less than a quarter of the population voting for him. Eligible voter, that is. Could you relate to how that would would be on the reserves? Uh, I uh, is chief and council the same way? Are they in power because of less than a quarter of the population on the reserves voting them in? Uh, do you have the same hierarchy situation at the on the reserves, and and which makes it sometimes difficult for the grassroots people to have a say? Chief and council is modeled after what was in the Indian Act, and. Although you can have your own custom election code, there's only certain requirements that the AANDC requires. So that includes um, your, you know, that you have an election process, you have a electoral officer, you have a way to um, appeal it. But it's because of the structure that's set up. Um, it was within it to uh, to create the system that exists today. When we have election, elections, it's based on the majority of votes. So, I mean, everybody comes out to vote because they, they're concerned about what happens on reserve. Unfortunately, they don't always go out to vote in provincial and federal elections. Um, I think it's the way that the structure is that limits um, that limits the involvement from the membership. Okay, thank you. Uh, next question, please. Hi, Faye. Tony Hall. Uh, I'd like. Oops, excuse me. <coughs> yeah, Tony Hall. Uh, I'd like to encourage uh, our discussion on Section Thirty Five and somehow. 
bringing this into the forefront. Let's be clear that Tom Flanagan is the architect of what we saw here. And uh, this is a termination policy. This is not a new thing. No. This is, a, you know, there's a lot of history. Let's just finish it off, pay off the Indians. We're all equal now. You know, the, the, the Indian estate is now in, incorporated in the overall market. We've seen, you know, efforts at that again and again through history. And it always ends up with Indian people losing property and being narrowed in, in, in the remaining estate. So there is in Canadian law this Constitution Act, 1982, the Supreme Law, and there is this phrase, the existing Aboriginal and treaty rights of the Aboriginal peoples of Canada are hereby recognized and affirmed. That's a huge statement. Who's supposed to do this recognizing and affirming? Tom Flanagan, the Government of Canada, Stephen Harper? Is the Government of Canada adhering to the rule of law of Section 35? Has there ever been a court case where the government of Canada goes into court to recognize and affirm Aboriginal and treaty rights? I would argue no. They always go into court to deny and negate. And your question is? And the, and the question is, the, the government of Canada spits on the Constitution of Canada, disre disregards and violates the rule of law. The Ministry of Justice you know, has whistleblowers resigning and bringing court cases because... The question, please. <laughs> Next question, please. What the hell's the time? We'll come we back to it. We got all day. What the hell's the hurry? My, my name is... My birthday tomorrow, I can say what the hell I want as, as long as I want to speak. Anyway, Faye, bless you for bringing all this sadistic book of information to us. I was fortunate enough as a schoolboy to have twins off of the Blackfoot Reserve. We went to school. We learned so much from them. Now, I just want to say that we've had at least six U.N., condemnations of our federal government's treatment of the First Nations. Okay? And I just want to, one more point I want to make is why is this all happening? Why the prorogation? Why, why, why the prorogation? Why, why Bill 45? Exxon wrote these, wrote these bloody law acts right now. That's obvious. They want to go up into your rivers as they please. But we know the relationship of the Prime Minister and Exxon, okay? Parental relationship. That's not a lie. That's not a story, okay? Uh, what is the reason for all this? The reason is we have a terrible electoral system. We have to get back to what the rest of the world has, proportionate elections. This would never happen according to the electoral experts of Canada. This would never happen. Well, you can uh, and push your question on the, topic, the question please. Is, how is it possible to push through 70, 80 laws into one so you can run over the Indian lands? The question is, love, are you in touch with the leaders of the Idle No More movement? Okay. With, with head office. Thank you. The head office. <laughs> um, Idle No More is a grassroots movement, and... The, the ladies who originally started it, I've only met one, that's Sylvia McAdam. If I wanted to be in touch with them, I could be in touch with them. 
Um, I think what's going on here is that we have different groups across Canada with different people who are, um, I don't know. I don't think that we're, there's a leader per se as much as there's a group of people together that are working together in various different areas. Um, I think that answered your question. Okay. Next question. Oh, but Atleo is not a leader of Isle No More. Atleo is the leader of the Assembly of First Nations. Hey, Mom. <laughs> Tell us your name. Do I really have to? Okay. Yep. I'm, I'm Mae's daughter. Jokes. My name's Abby Morningbull. Um, where do you think I don't know more should go from here? Good question. Uh, I think that we really need to focus on this legislation. I think there's a real um, a real chance that the governments they're, they're talking about this treaty forum at the end of the month with AFN and and the treaty nations. I think it's March 26th and 27th. But while we're all focused on that, that the, the government is still continuing the, with this legislation and working on pushing it through, they haven't stopped. Um, I don't know why the legislation wasn't on the list of eight items that the AFN wanted to address in the meeting with Prime Minister Harper, but it wasn't there. And so I, that's my greatest concern. It's... I think that there has to be a two-pronged approach. It has to be about stopping or suspending this legislation and working on what kind of systems Aboriginal people actually want. This is, a, this is all about Section 9124 and getting rid of the Indian Act, revoking the Indian Act, abolishing the Indian Act. But it's also, let's talk about Indigenous law. Let's talk about inherent rights. Let's talk about what was there prior to treaty that still exists, and maybe that's an option. Maybe we want to look at that. And so that's, I think that that's what it's about, and I would, I would hope that Idle No More would be really pushing hard and, and talking a lot about stopping this legislation, because I think that needs, that has to happen. I think that's, it's being something that people don't want to talk about, but it's, once it's passed, it's going to be pretty hard to get rid of. Okay. Okay, uh, my name is Alex Shade. Um, my question is, um, let's say that these bills do go through and they're in, um, in place and we have to deal with them. What can our um, leaders do to, uh, I guess, make it kind of work? for us if this does go through and how could it um, if there is any way that we can work with it like if all of it goes through geez that's a really hard question um, it's a really hard question I really think that if these things go through these pieces of legislation I think that Indian bands across Canada are going to seek litigation 
that they're litigate they're going to litigate against it because I don't think they really have a choice. This First Nations Financial Transparency Act, it even everybody keeps saying we should get involved in economic development. We should, you know, create economic development on the reserve. But this just seems to go direct opposite of that. It's like how can it be a good thing to have all of your financial information on a public website for everybody to see, including the people that you're competing against? How is it good for a, a nonprofit association to have all of their information on a public website if they're applying for grant monies or funding from different places and everybody can just go on there and look at it to see how much money they're getting from other places and how they're spending their money? How is that a good thing? I don't understand that. I, I, I just don't think that there's going to be any other option other than to litigate it. And unfortunately, that that's, I think, where it's going to head. You know, not that that's a good thing, but I, I don't think that they'll have any other choice. Litigation seems to be the only thing that the government understands. Okay, thank you. Uh Carol Sakia, <clears throat> excuse me. Can you tell me how confident you are in Sean Atlio representing a Native perspective? I have some real concerns about Sean Atlio, personally. Um, and my concerns stem from the fact that although he knew about some of these bills, I don't know that he knew about all of them, I don't understand why he didn't tell all of the, the bands across Canada about what was going on. Um, I, I don't know, like I've seen a lot of pictures of him and the Prime Minister together, um, and I'm not sure how well versed he is in Aboriginal or treaty rights. And I think that you need that background in order to be able to be speaking on behalf of your people. The other part of that is that the AFN gets their funding from the government. And I think that's a big uh, impediment to being able to have free speech, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. And that's my fear because, you know, in the non-Aboriginal community, I mean, he's given a certain, you know, aura and uh, it is it's a, it's a setup and and we don't know whether you know whether we should have any hope for this guy representing the general aboriginal population or not so i guess i was worried that he wasn't and so <laughs> now it's been sort of confirmed. okay <laughs> thank you next question please so my name is mark gettle I lived in the Fiji Islands for three years, and I saw a country there that was divided. And it's a situation where you have about half of the people, which are native Fijians, that live a communal life in villages, very nice communal life. And then you have the other half of the population that are indentured uh, East Indians that were brought in as slaves to work the sugarcane, who are now Fijian, uh, um, citizens of, the, of Fiji. And they are very capitalistic, and side by side you have the Fijians that are uh, Fijian natives that are communal, living very much like with their culture. But I see a huge dilemma there, and it doesn't seem to be working because you've got half of the population that is trying to live their own culture and the other half that's really entrapped in capitalism. 
So Fijian would, and then they had what they called Kerikeri, I think it was called, where if a Fijian bought a vehicle or something in their village, it was owned by everyone. So there was very little incentive for the Fijians to advance in the capitalistic uh, way. So I have a very a dilemma. I, I have a hard time to come to grips with what you I, I understand what you want, but I have a hard time to understand and to believe that that's going to work for a long time because here you are trying to live your culture, but you're overwhelmed with capitalism around. You're overwhelmed by the trappings of capitalism. For instance, you say you don't own your, uh, your house, but you do own a vehicle, do you not? So there's that dilemma of, you know what I mean, you're sort of halfway in between. So do you see that you could keep your culture and keep going for the next hundred years completely the way you, you, you wish you, you will be able to with all this capitalism around you. Okay, thank you. I understand how you're enabled to think of it in a way where communal life can exist aside, alongside capitalism. And I understand that because you can't, if you think you have all of the knowledge within your own mind and you know everything, then you're restricted by what you know. And I think that as Indian people, we've been here, we're we here since time immemorial, and we will continue to exist. What we still need that, I guess what I'm saying is that we have a way of life and we want to continue with it. I don't think that, I mean, we've resisted assimilation. You know, take a look around this room. How are all the native people, they're all sitting together, right? For the most part, if they could. You know, and it's like, we're, we're, we're not just blending in. And, and I think part of that is because we know we're not going to fit in. We know, and we've experienced, that, you know, that the same people who say, go get a job, are the same people who would refuse to hire us. We've experienced, like, when I, went, when I did my Bachelor of Education, or Bachelor of Education, Bachelor of Arts here in um, University of Lethbridge, I tried to find a place to live in Lethbridge, and I'd, get, I'd have phone calls. I'd go to look at the place. As soon as I got off the vehicle and they saw that I was Native, they didn't want to hire, oh, it's already rented. You know, so, I mean, if you, if you genuinely wanted us to become part of this greater Canadian society, there'd have to be a fundamental shift in your own psyche. Because we don't want to assimilate. It's about preserving our way of life as a people, as a people, not as a minority, as a people. And I think if you grasp that and you value diversity, that you'll want to look at it and maybe think, maybe there is a way that these things can coexist. Maybe I'm just looking at it wrong. Maybe all the, all the knowledge isn't out there right now. That if you have a full cup, how on earth can you ever look at anything else? If your cup is full and you know everything, there's no room for it. If I'm pouring water in there, it's just going to go over the sides. 
So thank you very much, Faye. Please join me in thanking Faye Morningbull for her presentation. Well, for my main question would be, uh, like, the media is trying to <clears throat> attach this only to First Nations. I think we all breathe the same air, we all drink the same water, we all live in the same Canada, and I think a lot of grandparents here, you guys got to think about your future generations, they're going to be drinking this polluted water, this polluted land, and I guess um, my main question, would you say, would you say, in a sense, our treaties are the last kind of protection for the destruction like of Canada, Definitely. environmentally? Definitely. Okay. And that's why... Bill C-38 was passed because it's about getting rid of the duty to consult. It's a getting rid of that constitutional protection of our rights in order to open it up. And, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Okay, thanks very much, everybody.